0: Welcome back to Dispatch Ajax. This is our side project, the Eastside Theater Guild, where we discuss cult films that either we just discovered or grew up on. So we're continuing our series of giant monster movies. We're not doing a lot of kaiju stuff. It's mostly either big apes or ape-like creatures, so... Hairy dudes. Mm-hmm. Yep, hmm So last time was ape. Uh, and
1: A.P.E.
0: This time around, we've got Yeti, giant of the 20th century. Yeti. Which isn't really a very controversial statement, because both of those things were true. He was giant, and it was made in the 20th century. So.
1: Il Gigante del Tvante secolo.
0: Yes, and it has gone by a couple other names, including uh, in some areas it was just called Iceman. Iceman.
1: Yeti can be my wingman any day.
0: <laughs> I, I would like to see that guy flying a jet. <laughs> Mostly it's just called Yeti. And that's kind of been a sticking point because um, when Dino De Laurentiis was trying to get the rights to King Kong to fill in the gap, I guess, the ape-shaped hole in everyone's hearts that was apparently happening, he started to produce an abominable snowman movie called Yeti. And then this Italian director what was it Frank? Gianfranco Parolini. Gianfranco Parolini. He Otherwise known
1: as Spaghettios with Franks.
0: That's true, yes. I mean it's the national dish. <laughs> Fact. You double check us on that one. Do the math. Apparently Uh, He was talking to an associate of De Laurentiis who let it slip that he was making that movie. And so while De Laurentiis was like in pre-production, this guy just cranked out a movie called Yeti uh, in about an afternoon (laughs) and uh, went on a huge blitz for it. And and, uh, apparently De Laurentiis was not pleased, but mostly because he saw the movie. As far as those kinds of B-movies go, this one was at least for the first like three quarters of it pretty entertaining Mm -hmm. considering nothing happens in it. Sure?
1: It has elements. I think you probably dug it more than I did,
0: but... Oh, sure. The trailer's great. Yeah. But, I mean, the Justice League trailer was pretty cool, too, so... (laughs) yeah, probably. I don't know. I don't think it was as bad as it could be. It did really drag there at the end. It's a lot longer than you would think it is.
1: The funny thing, I don't think it really drug at the end. It just stopped (laughs) needing coherence. And it just jumped around without, like, any connective material. But we can get to that as we break it down. Yeah, we'll get to that.
0: So, Yeti is a 1977 Italian-Canadian film. That's an odd combination. Directed by Gianfranco Parolini, or Frank Kramer. <laughs> he, like, slides into the room. There's, like, a applause when he enters. <laughs> Who is also a co-writer, and... It stars... Mimo Creo. <laughs> Mimo Mo. He's the titular Yeti. Uh, and a woman named Antonella Interlen... Interlenghi. Or Phoenix... Was it Phoenix Tate? Is that her name? Phoenix <laughs> what went Tate? By? What? Yeah, yeah. She went by Phoenix something. Uh, Phoenix Grant. I didn't
1: know that. Her star sign's Leo. How about that, mm-hmm. huh? Me too. Whoa. We have so much in common. Match made in Yeti Heaven.
0: Yet- Whoa, she was in Under Siege?
1: Different Under Siege. I looked that up.
0: Oh, God damn it!
1: Yeah, no, it was in 1980 Under Siege. It's about a bunch of criminals doing a bunch of robberies all at the same time. I saw it. In hell. It's where we broadcast from. Every week. So I did find another site that seems to have Phoenix Grant as her name. As well. Now where that name comes from, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Uh, I wonder if she knows that she's called that.
1: It's an awesome name though.
0: That is a pretty badass name. Yeah, Phoenix Grant. She was in City of the Dead, I think was the only other big thing she did. She's just that kind of actress, Italian B-movie actress. Yeah. Pretty classic.
1: Yeah, and so the the it was filmed mostly in Rome with some on location footage in Toronto.
0: <laughs> and you know how you can tell they're in Toronto because everybody's carrying a Canadian flag. <laughs> That's the only way you can tell.
1: Apparently, they shot a lot on the. Uh, they superimposed it. If you couldn't tell, right onto Canadian footage.
0: They only shot from the waist up, and everyone else is in frame completely. So it looks like they're standing in a hole. <laughs> what, what was the, the parade? There was like they were shooting a parade, oh, we'll, and they were. We'll get to that. Uh, this is this carnival? What is happening? No, we'll uh, we'll get to that. Okay, so this is, uh, once again, just another cheap King Kong knockoff, which is kind of the point of the entire exercise that we're doing here. But this one is a, instead of being Korean, like Ape, interestingly enough, I saw a lot of reviews online comparing this to Ape, so it was a, probably a good follow-up. Yeah, I can see that. It's a spaghetti horror, and it was, this movie was conceived and recorded to be out by Christmas the year after De Laurentiis's King Kong, so in just a few months. They slapped this bad boy together, but you couldn't tell from the quality. Uh, It's top notch. Uh Uh-huh. It basically follows beat for beat, King Kong, but without the pathos, without the stakes or motivations.
1: Are you saying that Mimo's face, mouth agape, eyebrows jumping up and down, Mm -hmm. his eyes that are sometimes
0: brown and sometimes blue, depending on the... Depending on the scene. Yeah, there was a lot of that, too. There's a lot of, like, people's clothing changing... In mid-scene, that seemed to happen a lot.
1: Yeah, there's one major, major plot point that come, that they just completely abandoned for a bit, just because they didn't have their editing on straight. Let's get to it. Let's jump right in. Let's jump right into Yeti. Yeah. Yeti. And you have to say like, you have to say, Yeti. Because that's how everybody says it.
0: Yeah, you could tell they were Canadian because they said Yeti. <laughs> Canada check. <laughs> Moto Yeti. No silly Canucks.
1: So, we open the film with stock footage of glaciers falling into the ocean.
0: And not the Kamina Barana playing.
1: <laughs> oh man, at first that was kind of throwing me off because I was like, wait, is this kind of sounds like Conan? <laughs> no, it's not, it's something different. And then I, I kept listening, and about halfway through, I'm like, that's what it's Kamina Barana. That's,
0: yep, all right. It's Camino Verano, but he changes like two notes so that it sounds just different enough, which he didn't really have to do considering that public domain. I'm guessing he thought, oh, well, if this
1: is a hit, hey, that's where it worked for me. I made my quote unquote own songs. Although at some point you should put a little bit of that Yeti theme song. That's like a little little synthy,
0: little 70s disco. The love theme from Yeti. It's real good. I like it. Have you seen the album cover for that? No. Oh, my God. I, I'll send it to you right now. I, I found it, and it's amazing.
1: So you see this ice falling in, and the first thing you think of is like, oh, is this an environmentalist idea here? Is that what they're going to go in for? Kind of
0: nope. A warning of future catastrophe? Hm, nope. Probably not. In fact, they beat you over the head with the evils of runaway capitalism to the extent in which it's almost funny. I mean it's definitely done as humor but I um, I don't think it's intentionally
1: funny. I don't know. That main honeycut guy that we run into, he very much gave me uh what's what's Luther's henchman, Otis? Yeah, if Otis was actually Luther he would be the main tycoon of this film.
0: Well, this is why we have a show. I, my first note is Italian Lex Luthor. <laughs> <laughs> Especially like the Lex Luthor with like the big curly fro. Yes, the Gene Hackman curly fro yes, thing. Yes, yeah. That's exactly right. And he's he's kind of like got those chubby jowls and, and the <laughs> way he's voiced over, it just seems very... They go out of their way to in the opening scenes to over-enunciate everything. Uh, And it is a very Lex Luthor moment where he, like, comes down in his helicopter or whatever and opens on a scientist. See that valve cover? That's nice.
1: Yeah. I'd have that on the poster to my bathroom for sure.
0: Funky disco sound by the Yetians.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this fat asshole is using his double H chopper. And he has a a box that is on a string hanging down from the the helicopter that he has a microphone in. And he's shouting at his quote-unquote friend, who's a scientist trying to make food on his house in the country.
0: Yeah, and not a crowd of people. One guy. Yeah. The scientist, he claims, but we'd see no evidence of, except for <laughs> the fact that he wears a lab coat at one point.
1: Yeah. And apparently he's a paleontologist. So it almost makes sense. Almost. Almost. But so this millionaire has come to greet his longtime companion friend that seems to loathe him to get him to do this project because Mr. Moneybags has found a giant humanoid in a block of ice. And I guess he wants to patent
0: it or sell it. Uh, He wants to do this as his mascot for his business. Okay, his name is Morgan Honeycutt, right? Mm -hmm. And he calls him. The guy calls him Morgan the entire time. Except for in several scenes, people call him H.H. And his company is H.H. His grandson is Herbert Honey. Yeah. But they keep calling Morgan H.H. There's even a scene with his two hot assistants and Frank Oz that are there at his desk. Uh, and like the clipboard she's carrying says H.H. And it's I like,
1: had a theory about this. All right. Okay. All right. Get into my conspiracy zone. Okay. So, our main protagonist is this girl named Jane and this little kid named Herbie and their dog, right? And they are- Herbie. Herbie, yes. They are orphaned because their parents died. That's how that works. They are the nephew and niece of Mr. Honeycut. I think he didn't have any money. He was kind of a middling, businessman. Somehow his parents died. His brother and sister-in-law died- they were too young to get the money. The fortune, their massive industrial fortune, went to him. That's why it's still like the father named the company Double H after his son, which is why Double H is on everything. He took over, and now he's using all of this money to just do crazy, stupid shit, like trying to find yetis in the ocean or like putting little boxes on helicopters, just this crazy stuff. That's never going to make any money. That's my theory.
0: Well, he is their grandfather, not uncle. Oh, is he? Yeah, they mentioned that he refers to his grandson Herbert.
1: All right. So you take that theory, <laughs> what he removed. He had his son and his uh, his daughter in law killed. Took their money and fortune. For himself. Eh? Hey, why still not? It still works. I'm, it's already more interesting. It's, it's already more interesting. And maybe more of the plot might actually make sense when we get to the end? Put a pin in that. We'll get back to that. I wouldn't put money on it. I wouldn't put money on any of this. He gets this paleontologist friend. And he's like, oh, you gotta you gotta come see this thing. He's like, I don't want to do it. He ends up doing it. But for some reason, they have brought this paleontologist on site to this giant block of ice... But what does he know about thawing this creature out, dealing with this creature, or any of the biology of the giant hairy hominid? He, he makes a lot of leaps in the logic. Tons. Tons. And well as does the movie. It's kind of part and parcel.
0: Well, it's just that opening scene where he's talking to him about it. He climbs out of the box from the helicopter. And then sits down at a a table that I can only describe as coming from a cartoon spaghetti house with a red checkered <laughs> tablecloth, and he tucks a red checkered napkin into his into his <laughs> collar. Like, I expect there to be a big pile of spaghetti with one meatball on top of it. You know? It's Mama Paguchi's. Did he bring that with him? Why is it outside? And why is the table already set? And what food is he eating? I Also, what? why is this panel just going
1: all day to make this one big meal for himself? Because it's a, it's a huge table filled with stuff that's only for him.
0: Yeah, except that the only thing that ever seems to actually get eaten is an, is one egg
1: yeah it's like the starter egg
0: which is bizarre because i kept thinking like what is he what is he doing to that egg because at first you think it's like he picks it up and he cracks open the very top like it's a soft-boiled egg right mm-hmm. except all he does is put a tiny hole in it and then knocks it back like a shot glass yeah what is he
1: doing yeah that happens sometimes. is it raw uh i would say it's like maybe slightly cooked but it's it's meant to be he like open it up no, it well, it's it's still loosey goosey in there.
0: It's either not cooked at all, or he was an idiot. I, I don't
1: really. You, you drop an egg in boiling water for five seconds, take it out,
0: let it cool. All they did was kind of sanitize it. Really, yeah. there really wasn't much else. Yeah, you know, he's, it's his rocky morning routine. But even that, just put it in a glass. What's the point of that? Ah, uh, that was bizarre. I mean, I've had a raw quail egg in a sushi place, but at least they put it in a shot glass. You know.
1: Hey, he's living his life rugged. He ain't got time to sure clean is. no glasses.
0: Yeah, and so they kind of discuss it, and basically they've introduced the idea that who they call H.H., but is actually Morgan Honeycutt, is some sort of billionaire industrialist who, as far as I can tell, only owns grocery stores. Oh, no, he has other stuff. Yeah, I guess he has a gas station. He has too. a gas
1: station. They They make
0: t-shirts. I want one of those really badly, by the way. <laughs> yeah,
1: we'll get to the t-shirts. That's great. Oh, yeah kiss me yeti <laughs> uh, i don't even know what the f that means so the next thing we get is the put-upon paleontologist scientist dude he is now in the north somewhere
0: like nova scotia or something yeah
1: they don't they don't really say it it must be close to canada but not quite in canada it's
0: right off the atlantic so it's like on the coast right. somewhere
1: now he has a uh, gather around a cadre of flamethrower-wielding flame Nova Scotian dudes that are surrounding this block of ice and just lighting it up.
0: That's my favorite part, was that they're not using a chisel or a drill or a saw of any kind. They're using intermittent flamethrowers. Yeah, yeah. Precision tools, like a Swiss clock. <laughs> they're melting the ice. It's like, hey, Jim, Jim, you got, like,
1: separate buddies with flamethrowers? Well, bring them on down. You guys can, like, flame
0: up some ice. I found these guys. These guys were walking by with (laughs) flamethrowers. And, like, a lot of the construction guys, they do these weird scenes where, like, there's a couple of them that they do weird zooms on to get their reaction, but they're not reacting to anything. They're both wearing dark sunglasses, and they have mustaches, so it looks like they should be a character, but then they don't do anything. They just cut away. Oh, that was a mysterious mustachioed man. I wonder what his deal was. Never to be addressed (laughs) again.
1: Nope. Nope. He's just a dude.
0: Not only that, they're not wearing any like specialty equipment or anything. They're not wearing at like, all raincoats.
1: Yeah, no, they just it's what they had with them. They were given their flamethrowers and said, "Let's burn this ice." Have at
0: the Yeah, let's let's light this up.
1: Yeah, which is crazy because you see this block of ice and then you see the Yeti's toes are exposed, and so they are just they're just burning his tootsies right
0: there. Oh yeah, they're, they're incinerating this. Guy. Oh yeah. The weird thing from that scene. How did they find this thing? Because it was, like, buried deep under the ice, as they show, like, in a glacier. And they it, it didn't say, like, oh, part of the glacier fell off like they show in the opening credits. Uh, and then he was exposed or whatever. They can't tell what it is or, well, they, they can somehow. But, like, you, you can't see what it is or how big it is. And they claim that the little kid, Herbie, found it. How the f*** did he find it? What, what was he doing that he found... 50 foot yeti. I think I think they're just buried under 10 feet.
1: I think they're just like, hey, Herbie found it. Hey, good for Herbie because he's a little mute kid with dead parents that his grandpa stole all their money. Yeah, you know, they're just making him feel good. They do show at the right after the glacier at the very beginning, they show a boat. I think it's the, the idea is that the boat found the ice and is boned by Honeycutt. And then I have to make those connections myself. The film certainly yeah. doesn't
0: point them out. No, but they go out of their way to say multiple times that Herbie found it. You know, his grandfather says it, and then Jane says it to the guy that ends up being a villain. Spoilers. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm sure everybody's on the ridge of their seat for this one. They go out of their way to say that he did it, but then don't tell you how or why or what he was doing. That's
1: because I don't think he actually did it. Find I think they're just buffing him up.
0: Well, but he, he's not around when she says it to the guy. She just says it to him. And so, is she going to take this secret to her grave or something? I mean, what's the point? I, I, I just... What, well, what's the point of a lot of this stuff? What activity could a 12-year-old boy be, you know, caught up in, in which he finds a 50-foot Yeti buried under 10 feet of ice? Well, on top of that, what better place to have
1: this billionaire's relations walking about <laughs> in the form of this mute preteen and his almost adult sister? Shouldn't they be in school? Should it be something
0: somewhere, even just supervised? Not just walking in and out of the flamethrowers. <laughs> yeah, they have just random people. So they're watching them shoot it with flamethrowers. With like, there are no barriers set up. There's no like traffic cones. There's no like, or even anybody to say, "Hey, keep a distance from the flamethrowers." They're just like standing right next to the people with flamethrowers. Yeah,
1: it's <laughs> uh, ridiculous. They, like,
0: there's people like tailgating. They're flamethrowing this <laughs> damn yeti. The only thing I can think of is, like, maybe it's a Yeti graveyard. It's just this field of Yeti corpses all over, and then he just stumbled upon one of them. He was going to find one eventually, you know?
1: I like that idea better, but I don't think that's what happened.
0: <laughs> I don't think so either. If this was a part of the evolutionary branch, where did that go off the rails? All right. How did we go from early hominids to 50 foot tall? That's another thing. I They keep
1: vacillating when they're talking about this. That sometimes it's the mythical Yeti of the Himalayas. <laughs> Right. Which would mean there are others that have survived, and this one just happened to fall into ice, and that there are other, I don't know, anywhere between 50 and 100 foot tall yetis walking around, or- That's the
0: first one we ever found. Yeah. Or this is some kind of
1: missing link distant ancestor. But again, it doesn't explain how, you know, it's
0: 10 to 20 times the size of a normal human. Yeah. That part is a mystery. (laughs) And then it's funny, when he thaws out, he looks like Robin Williams, shirtless. (laughs) So, when they're melting him, at first he's in just a big block of ice. And then eventually it's just a block of ice, the exact shape of the yes. Yeti. Even the facial features. Uh, How'd you manage that one? That's impressive.
1: And then for the last bit of thawing out, well, obviously, let's bring him back online, if only for a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. So, what we need to do, Naturally. obviously, we need to put him <laughs> in this giant cage. Which looks like the Wonka Vader. <laughs> it really does. Or like the. Oh, what are the the water cages that magicians use?
0: Oh, like in uh, the Prestige? Yeah, like in the Prestige. It looks just like one no, of those. Okay. Yeah, except it's a trapezoid, not a rectangle. It's really weird. No, I don't, well, it, it truly doesn't matter. No, it is. I'm looking at it right now. All
1: right. So they put him on the, this helicopter, and then they halt this giant man to his, quote-unquote, natural habitat, which is X amount of feet above sea level.
0: yeah because this is where the air
1: he would be used to breathing would be
0: or some such or something and not only that but it's weird that they're like well we captured him at his last heartbeat he was frozen or whatever i'm like okay well then that usually means you're dead so he starts to die when they pull him up that's why they decide to take him up higher but then they're like oh my god his heart is slowing down here let's stimulate his brain wait what yeah
1: I, I, why I, they decide to like shock his brain and then shock his heart. They shocked his
0: brain to get his heart
1: moved. I think they also did some heart stuff too. I feel like I remember that happening. <laughs> some
0: gross heart stuff
1: <laughs> the whole time. I was watching this, it was like, all right, I'm trying to play this out. Like, if I was in Jurassic Park and we had this dinosaur that we thawed from molasses or whatever. <laughs> Would I get oh, wow. Sam Neill to then do surgery on this dinosaur to bring it back to life? That doesn't make any sense. Probably find a doctor. Yeah. is somebody who knows some type of biology. Not a guy who takes bones out of the
0: ground. Yeah. But he also knows about hearts and lungs and brains. But that's because he's interested in taxidermy. Completely unrelated. <laughs> of course, this helicopter is very, very obviously a model helicopter. I mean... We're talking like same level. I mean, it's like you can't literally see the strings, but you might as well be able to see the string. I suddenly have two questions when they're raising him up like that. The first one, what bygone era of Earth's history led to the evolution of a giant Italian man with Bee Gees hair?
1: I love his hair
0: his hair is it's 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 amazing even after being under the ice for a million years they say it's perfectly quaff
1: honestly when first time he becomes conscious after he stops yelling he literally
0: touches his hair and puts his fingers through it this is a plot point he Mm -hmm. like brushes it away from his eyes and looking longingly at a character (laughs) he gets a comb at one point
1: yeah yeah we'll get to the comb
0: oh my god um, and then the other question was, why does he keep changing sides? Because in this scene specifically, he goes from seemingly nearly 500 feet tall to about 10 foot tall, depending on which shot you're using and which angle you're at.
1: That is one thing with these <laughs> kaiju-esque movies. It's all depending on whatever scene, what do they need to be happening in the, in the plot? And it's maddening.
0: From scene to scene, not even, oh, in the first act he was this size, and in the second act he was a different size. No, it's literally like you cut away with the camera to another shot, and he's 50 times larger than he was before. Yeah. And especially when they start dealing with the actual physical props, like with his giant hand. (laughs) Uh, Uh,
1: It's ridiculous. I know,
0: because the size inconsistencies are epic. It's almost impressive <laughs> that they managed to make him so many sizes specific because he, they're always showing him in him in relation to other objects so that you get how big he is. But those objects are all over the place in size. He picks up a car at one point and it's the size of a power wheels, but he towers over buildings unless he needs
1: to like break in a building and then he shrinks down, I don't know, 12 foot tall.
0: Yeah. Unless he wants to break into the elevator from above that one building. In that scenario, he's 900 feet yeah, it's, it's
1: ridiculous. Oh, man.
0: <laughs> it's very ape-like in that sense. Like when ape was in the water. You know? Yeah.
1: So they have him up in the air, and he starts waking up. And he starts freaking out. And he has this bizarre shrill yell that he lets out the whole film.
0: Yeah, he sounds like a He-Man monster. He
1: does. It's like these two or three different
0: yells from creatures mm-hmm.
1: all, like, mixed and matched over each other.
0: Yeah, and the funny part is that there are scenes where they use the yell, but they'll use more than one of them layered on top of each other, but not synchronized. So he starts yelling, and then a different yell is played over it after he already started, meaning that he could not have made that sound.
1: Yeah, please insert a yell here. That would be great.
0: It's fine because um, pal Mimo there, basically, he's just slack-jawed the entire movie. I was watching. I
1: truly don't believe he closed his mouth during the whole film.
0: He didn't seem to. He had prosthetic teeth in, too, and he did a fake underbite thing, um, which I guess was an artistic choice. I mean, hey, at least he was taking it seriously, I guess. Somebody was. No, he
1: he was. I will give him this. He was invested in his character. He does the most that he can with the expression on his face with the makeup and the teeth and the hair that he has on.
0: Yeah, he's the only one trying.
1: I'm I'm not going to knock him on this one.
0: Wasn't he in Jesus of Nazareth?
1: Yes, yeah, he was in the uh, the TV version of that. The
0: Probably the same hair.
1: But this was his last feature film that he worked in.
0: Really? Die or something? No, he just stopped working. <laughs> he saw this and was like, you've reached it, that's it. Going out on top. You're on the mountain, baby. There's nowhere else to go but down. Oh, man. So then they're in the helicopter, and he starts freaking out because he's waking up. Mm -hmm. And he's, like, thrashing around in the the cage thing. At one point, it goes into his mouth. One of the bars goes into his mouth. Did you see that? I loved it. And he just rolls What they do is they
1: have a huge hose that is connected to a ton of knockout gas inside the helicopter. Mm
0: -hmm. Where they were carrying it, I couldn't tell Uh, you.
1: Who knows? Uh, They turn on the gas. Oh, the gas isn't working. And they're like, oh, shit. We left the the front of it open, so they hit the power button to turn turn on the window to close the thing so the gas will stay in. And his head's kind of out of the box, and so the window goes right up into his mouth.
0: He goes along with it. He bites down on the on the <laughs> yeah. bar that's the, <laughs> oh, that's the window. that's good. He rolled with it, man, like a pro. Uh, but then it moved again, so he just kind of acted like it didn't happen. <laughs> and of course, his box keeps changing sizes too.
1: Of course, as does everything. Of course it does.
0: Yeah, and the weird thing is, so they're in the helicopter, and he's thrashing about, and they lose radio contact with the ground. Why? Mm -hmm. When he settles down, they're like, oh, sorry, we lost contact with you for a second. Why? What what was happening to cause you to lose radio contact? It was just a large man shaking a box. It
1: was Yeti magic.
0: It's a Yeti. Morgan. There is no rhyme or reason for that whatsoever. You know what there also wasn't rhyme or reason for? The movie.
1: Well, yes.
0: The the most
1: glorious scene they were all waiting for. Everybody is in their seat. It's 1977. You got your popcorn.
0: Biggest movie of 1977.
1: Yeti is down on the ground. The camera is panning up from his feet. Uh-huh. We're going up the backside, up his legs. Oh, we're getting there. We're about to see it. It's coming to us.
0: Uh, nothing. Just a bunch. It's a hair yep. belt that we got. He, he's wearing like a hair diaper. Where is Madangle? I mean, we paid admission to see that Wing Wong, man. I, okay. I can
1: only imagine how disappointed everybody in that audience must have been.
0: At least half, yeah.
1: That's what I was excited about, and it didn't come to me.
0: Well, and then the female protagonist, Jane. Jane. Uh, Herbie's jailbaity sister At one point, obviously the Yeti like, befriends her Because of the Fay Rae thing And the guy We don't even know what the guy's role in the film really is The guy, the more famous actor That you think is a good guy He's just like the you, He would normally be the protagonist of a film But he's just sort of, sort of there for no reason Yeah, his
1: name's Cliff Chandler in the film They'd call him the, and Tony Kendall Was the actor He's kind of the good looking, blonde haired think he's going to be the good guy to take care of everyone.
0: So he makes a joke. They were talking about how the Yeti likes Jane, or at least like calms down around Jane. And then he makes some weird offhand remark about how if he stays the night, she might have duties to perform.
1: Yes. They make a a thing where it's like, oh, he thinks that you are his wife and that you're going to have wifely duties to take care of during
0: the night. She's 16. She's 16. Yep. Mm, uh, mm. Uh, uh, Although the
1: age of consent, you know, (laughs) 10,000 years ago (laughs) in Italy was three. So
0: Uh, you were just a gelding then. (laughs) And not just the character, but the actress was actually 16 years. old Oh, wow. I didn't know that. She was 16. You want to hear something crazy? She, that was not her first movie. Well, I guess it was. She was introducing her, but she was in some other projects or whatever. She got married at 15. See? See? So she was already doing her wifely
1: duties. So.
0: (laughs) There's nothing about that scenario I like at all. Uh, That was very off-putting.
1: Yes. Yes, it was.
0: Okay. So they go to.
1: They've come down. Yeti's awake. He's kind of looking around. Oh, that's right. It's broad daylight. I don't know. There are a hundred people there, like machine workers, all different types of people. There's heavy machinery going on. There are cars. There's chatter. But he looks down because one lone dog is barking.
0: Wally's dog.
1: That catches his attention. And then there are flashless pictures being taken. No flash. And then they decided to turn floodlights on. It is the middle of the day. It is. It's like noon. And because of those... The dude flips the f*** out. With no explanation. With no explanation.
0: They they don't mention it offhand. They don't say not to do that. Nothing. He just freaks out because of the lights that he probably wouldn't be able to see very well in the daytime. Did you notice the weird part about that sequence? When they're first landing with the Yeti, there's a shot. They use more than once of a couple of the characters waiting for the thing to land. And in the foreground, off to the left, are cardboard boxes stacked on top of each other that just says tables
1: (laughs) i did not see that
0: with no explanation but they damn well made sure that it was in the movie but it just says tables (laughs) and i'm thinking like is this why you had that table at the beginning <laughs> Are they like some table conglomerate <laughs> building tables to ship around the world? Maybe I was very. Confused maybe they're just
1: going to shoot that scene later, and this is the boxes for the the actual tables that was going to be used.
0: <laughs> we had several prop tables just in case we had to go through a bunch. They don't last long; a lot of wear and tear <laughs> in those scenes. Throw it out and get a new one for each shot. <sighs> well, so much this confusing.
1: So the Yet Man, he's chasing people around. <laughs> After being nicked by a lone bullet. And then he's pulling up trees and is shouting. But again, he's stopped by that same dog barking. Now they have this collie. He's sitting on the hood of a random car, far Mm -hmm. away from the children companions who were knocked out on the ground. Which they don't show. Which they don't show. It catches Yeti's attention. And so then the dog brings them Lassie style to the protagonists Mm -hmm. who freak out. But then... I don't know how to explain his eyes that he's doing. His, like, blinking, sad puppy dog eyes. Mm -hmm. And they realize, oh, he's not so bad. Mm -hmm. It's okay. So he gently plucks them up and walks away. Now, this is the part where he's walking away with them. And his hand is very far away from his chest. But somehow, Jane randomly grasps out and finds his nipple. I saw how they did this in the prop thing. Is that it was inflatable nipple? Yeah. So it, the nipple is, like, deflated, and then it inflates because of her touch.
0: And then she awkwardly moves it back and then looks around in disgust. Yeah, and
1: she has a little bit of a hair in her hand. And then you see his face, and he has this smile that's like, <laughs> I haven't been turned on in 10,000 years kind of smile. And his eyes are all big and bugged out.
0: Was that a necessary plot event to further the narrative? <laughs> I mean, I, I... I, I, I If you're going to land anything on the cutting room floor, Ben, they worked so hard on that nipple. That was
1: definitely, definitely in the script. But I would say sometimes you need those things. Like when I am away from this film for many years, I will think back and say, I remember that inflated Yeti nipple. (laughs) That's probably the one thing that's going to stick
0: out for me. (laughs) Well, it stuck out for him. There you go. That's like a centerpiece prop. I mean, they staged that. You know, actual prop makers had to construct that and then shoot that probably with more than one take. Like, actual human beings were involved in the creation of that scene. It's baffling. <laughs> it's one of a kind. You're not
1: going to get giant yeti nipples in any other film, will you?
0: Yeah, I guess that's the one and only. And as far as we can tell, it's his one and only. That's the only <laughs> nipple we see, <laughs> yeah. just the one. Yeah. And then Jane tries to patch up his horribly bleeding hand which i kind of don't understand because he just got shot with a rifle like a small gauge rifle and he's 50 to 500 feet tall depending on the scene and somehow it mangled his hand and he's bleeding all over the place like that's one hell of a bullet
1: that's not yet that's later in the film when, when she has the spray and stuff yeah no that's later in the film so like every one of these films somehow there's a crevice that's far away And she has put them down. Nobody knows where this giant creature's gone. He just disappears yet again, like all of these movies have to do.
0: He does it several times in the movie, too. Oh, where'd he go? He's hiding somewhere. He's 500 (laughs) feet tall. Where is he hiding? (laughs) Oh, man. If you didn't notice. Oh, it's maddening.
1: (laughs) This is where we get to the plot point that really stuck with me. So you put him down, and then the sister asks Herbie a question. Now, it has been well-established That once this kid's parents died, he hasn't said a word since. All of a sudden, he responds to the sister's question?
0: (laughs) Yeah, without any fanfare.
1: With no fanfare. She doesn't bat an eye. He doesn't say another thing the rest of the film.
0: What? Which is its own problem, too, because you set up this thing about a mute kid, and you think there's going to be a character genesis where he gets his voice back by the end. Nope. Nope. Nope, nothing. Nope, he just happens to be mute. Except except for for this one one time when he's like yes that's it (laughs) oh and and it's funny the way that the way that they set that up too there's no subtlety to the exposition it's literally like unprompted jane is talking to that guy and she's like oh i suppose we've been spoiling the boy especially my grandfather who's like a father and mother to him if science can revive that thing there then maybe your brother can recover too they've tried everything cliff herbie lost his voice when he was in that plane accident in which my father and mother died So they skipped over any necessary dialogue or scene settings where they had to uh, infer something. They just come out and tell you, which I guess is more convenient. I guess. But you have to do something with it. (laughs) You have to do anything with it. Anything. They don't get their parents back. He's he's still a mute.
1: (laughs) And then we get to maybe the worst size disparity because they leave him there. Mr. Yeti just runs away. He comes back. And he has this giant fish that he found in his hand. Like a fish that's Mm -hmm. literally the size of an adult human. At least. Just a random, you know, like cartoon fish looking thing. He leans it down and hands it to the two of them. Yeah. But for some reason, there is a normal tiny sized regular fish on top of the big Mm -hmm. fish
0: that Mm -hmm. Herbie takes. And then they both eat raw fish together. He's supposedly pretending to eat it, but it sure looks like he's eating I think he's eating the fish. But uh, why would we why would we think that he doesn't know how to eat? Yeah, I mean didn't he evolve in in survival? I think he's eating raw fish a lot longer than you have, kid. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. And the best part is when he does finally eat the fish, it looks like a Tom and Jerry cartoon where it's just (laughs) it's a flat two dimensional just the bones, the head and the (laughs) tails. I love that. I love it.
1: And th- it was so good. And this would get to the, I think, the true subtext of this film. And if you think about it, this works. Yeti loves hair.
0: <laughs> Yeti love hair.
1: He loves his own hair. The only reason he likes Jane is because he likes her hair. He doesn't do anything to Herbie because he likes his hair. He doesn't do anything yeah. to Grandpa because he digs his hair. Every character that's bad has next to no hair. Or, or, or shitty boring hair that's why he like he touches his hair he wants to touch Jane's hair he gets the the giant <laughs> oh the giant dead fish skeleton comb and brushes her mm-hmm. hair yep which is which is pretty fantastic
0: he leans in and cocks his head and brushes his hair away from his eyes to infer that he wants to brush her hair with this with the fish I thought he was just gonna brush his hair it would make more sense. It would make more sense because, like, he takes care of that mane. Or why man. wouldn't you go back and forth?
1: Look, I brush my hair. I brush your hair.
0: Yeah. I mean, he has, like, herbal Essence hair, man. He's.
1: It's a 70s feathered lion mane, is what he's got. It's the craziest
0: <laughs> thing I've seen in a movie <laughs> for a long time. And they don't do a very good job of showing how they communicate because she just talks to him like he's Tarzan. Well, for no reason because he doesn't understand English at all. So you could just talk like normal. And it's not going to help him understand more by leaving out adverbs. You know what I mean? I I don't understand. Yeti, come, us, place, safe. Right. Why would he understand that more? Yeah,
1: that's no different than the Shakespearean (laughs) soliloquy to to Yeti. It's
0: all the same. Exactly. It's all Greek to him. (laughs) Yeah, I don't understand any of that. But he somehow seems to understand everything she says. Then we have the crew who's been looking for Yeti,
1: but are dumbass pieces of (laughs) shit. Because they need the dog to run from, because the dog's been chasing Yeti the whole way, found Uh them, then runs back to go find everybody else. And then they follow the dog, Lassie style, again to giant tracks. And they're like, oh, I guess Yeti's been here. Let's go find him. So then they they meet Yeti and they meet uh, Jane and Herbie. and, And Jane's like,
0: no, Yeti's wonderful. He no hurt us. (laughs) <laughs> it's like, why are you still talking that way?
1: <laughs> so then things are just fine, I guess.
0: I guess, yeah. They are all just like, huh? I guess he's not so bad. Yeah.
1: Then this is when they load him up, and they're going to take him to Canada. And this is when the marketing stuff hits, because this is apparently old Honeycutt's big idea. He has these ads that are making people go buck wild for gasoline, because a- if if you <laughs> a indeed <laughs> Yeti gasoline gives you more power. And if you get Yeti groceries, it gives you more power, and then you get power groceries. your favorite shirt of all time.
0: Yes, which uh, I'm sure we'll put up on social media, but it's a v-neck white t-shirt. On the back, it says, kiss me, Yeti. No punctuation. And on the front is just two blue hands over the, where your breasts would be. Uh-huh. That's it. Yep. Just like a Yeti. Just like a Yeti does, I guess? Just like a Yeti would wear. Yep. It's, it's Yeti wear right there. <laughs> and so they've told us,
1: literally, that they're going to bring him back to camp, and the scientists were supposed to come tomorrow. And then old Honeycutt says, "No, nope, we're going to take him tomorrow to go do our ads and stuff. So in a day, they have made all of these shirts, all of these advertisements are taking the world by storm. They have... Uh, They're selling out stadiums. They have organized Mm -hmm. this
0: giant parade in Canada. That doesn't seem to be themed. It just seems to be like carnival. Yeah, it's just a carnival theme. Parade. But it's for the Yeti? Supposedly. And 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 still, nobody has seen this Yeti.
1: Not a single person has seen a picture of this Yeti. No scientists have looked at this Yeti other than Mr. Paleontologist.
0: Yeah, one side.
1: But yet the world's going Yeti crazy. And they're going to have, what? What did it say? One, one and a half million people watching this Yeti live, live
0: around the world. screening. Yeah, I mean they got Yeti fever, man. Which is also bizarre because yeah, you're right. That was this morning, and they've already organized. Well, it looks like a Blue Jays game. Yeah, <laughs> where they go and they show up the crowd screaming for the Yeti.
1: I'm fine if you just say like By that you know, afternoon. In like a month later, you know Yeti's been in Nova Scotia
0: or where Honeycutt
1: owns this island, nobody's in or out, that's fine, they're going to display Yeti on the stage, there's been all this build-up, but you can't do this in a day, this doesn't make any sense. It's a
0: matter of hours.
1: Oh, And somehow they get Yeti to go back into the suicide box to be flown to Canada.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then when they get to Canada, this is the part of the, the okay, so not only is it really, the Canada stuff really bad, because it's obviously just B-roll from Canada, because every time they show... Actual actors in the movie, in that Toronto scene, they're all just carrying Canadian flag. So that you know <laughs> that they're from Canada. They're not Italian at all. And um,
1: Italians are not allowed to carry Canadian flags. It's against their religion. they shot
0: on sight. So they're like, okay, we're going to take him to Toronto. So are they going to take him to some sort of safe house or some sort of like zoo or exhibit or like a cage of some sort? Nope. They plop down and let her rip. He just walks right out of the cage yeah. and is... On top of a building,
1: <laughs> and things are going fine, I guess, up until someone takes a few flash photographs, and it, once again he flips the f- out.
0: Right, once again, middle of the day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what? Broad daylight. So, what was the plan there? Were they they were just winging it? Because it seems like they were just like, well, we didn't think that far ahead. I mean, uh, let's see, fly to Toronto, and then up. Oh, looks like I stopped writing. Um, oh, geez. Uh, uh, <laughs> hey, hey, Bill. Bill, where'd you, where'd you find that we could get
1: somebody to put the Yeti? Nowhere? You say, we need more than six hours to plan this? <laughs> it, we'll do it live.
0: What's he going to eat?
1: I don't know. Do we have any interns? <laughs> I'm sure we'll find somebody in a hotel somewhere, right? Yeah, that's fine. So, yeah, the Yeti flips out now that he's in town. And for some reason, all the people inside the hotel go crazy, too, and are just flooding the hallways. So Yeti starts flipping out, and he's like... Going after this hotel, uh, which is maybe one of the best parts of this. Uh, everyone floods into this elevator.
0: What's your plan there? Too? I don't. I, I mean, don't know.
1: I they, I do like the idea that this mass chaos is almost killing people. Sure. Yeah. They almost do something with that.
0: Yeah, it's almost like in uh, one of the few good parts of Spielberg's War of the Worlds when they they start trying to kill each other over a car because they think they can somehow do something mm-hmm. with it, even though there's no logic to that whatsoever. Yeah, I thought that part was actually compelling. The problem was, why did they do that, and why was he attacking? He didn't know Jane was there. Nope, had no idea. And he definitely didn't know she was in the elevator, or what an elevator was. (laughs) And then he pulls the elevator itself out from the roof of the building. How would he know to do that? I don't know. And then, instead of opening it up to find Jane or whatever, he just keeps using it like a yo-yo. That's exactly what I had in my notes. I was
1: like, I love this elevator (laughs) yo-yo.
0: why nothing came of it he just kind of literally dropped it and then walked away
1: well then he saw that jane was in it then he reached in
0: yeah oh yeah i guess he does because all the glass breaks or whatever
1: but then she is just hanging on because she has gotten out of the elevator and she's now hanging on inside the elevator shaft and i do like this part also Yeti he decides he's going to climb down the building. And so he is literally just, like, taking his feet and kicking windows in. And one <laughs> after the other after the other. And you keep seeing these people just having their cereal and watching some football. And then a giant foot smashes in their, their house. That
0: was really good. Yeah. It was kind of like, uh, like a reverse King Kong. He's climbing down yeah. the building. I also don't know why he was climbing down. Other than he didn't like being up. I guess. But then he was also on top of that building and... Considering when he's, like, on the ground, he's towering over other buildings, what was the scale of that building and what were the proportions of that building?
1: I don't – well, it literally says that she's on, I think, the 38th floor. Okay. Because I remember seeing, like – it was somewhere in the 30s, and that's before she slips and falls. And so she's falling down this elevator shaft Mm -hmm. and – Yeah, like Hans Gruber. Yes, yeah. Or Mary Jane Watson. Okay, fair. Obviously, they never read Spider-Man because then you see right before she hits the bottom, the big old Yeti hand plops through and catches her. She doesn't go splat, though.
0: You meant Gwen Stacy.
1: I did mean Gwen Stacy, yes.
0: <laughs> yes. But uh, it was Mary in the... In the movies. Amazing one, Spider-Man 2? No, it was Mary Jane in the in, in Raimi's Spider-Man.
1: I know, but it also happened in Amazing Spider-Man.
0: That was Gwen. Was that Gwen? It was once again, they oh, cast a redhead. A redhead as the blonde, blonde, and then a
1: blonde as the redhead. Yeah. Ha- oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Right. Again, that's the third time. <laughs> Three.
1: Third time's the charm.
0: I guess. It worked out so well for that. Yeah,
1: but she's fine. She doesn't splat upon his giant old Not even a monkey bruise. hand.
0: Her face is kind of dirty, I think is the only thing.
1: Yeah, she's an angel with a dirty face. Then we see, like, another standard trope. One of my favorite of these films. Uh, there's tons of people running away. Then you see someone stop, and they look back. And as they look back, peekaboo! He just kind of peeks out from
0: <laughs> a building, and the like he was you know, hiding. Like something. he was hiding. Like no one knew what they were running from. Oh, and then there's that group that all runs away except for one mother and her child in a pram, and they not only don't move, they don't even like react. In, I mean, they. I mean, they seem fearful, but. The kid is just kinda like, Oh, that's weird, yeah. you know, and the and the mom's just kind of standing there. Like, not that they're frozen in fear, they're just they're waiting for someone to give them direction <laughs> to move. Like they weren't given specific instructions.
1: The kid's like, So we're just supposed to just sit here? Is this is it? Is this it? Yeah. And the he's actress just, like, yeah, yeah, just just wait. He, the director's gonna say something.
0: He'll tell us something eventually. Oh,
1: he went for a sandwich.
0: Son goes cut. <laughs> <laughs> i didn't understand that part at all and so other than the building with the elevator that he racks, he doesn't really do anything no no in fact he's
1: kind of out of the movie for a while yeah because he disappears and the next time we see him somehow jane and herbie are back because herbie was Mm -hmm. gone i don't know how herbie came back they were both back Mm -hmm. and now they're in a warehouse i guess
0: they, so jane's with yeti and herbie and the dog yeah the dog's important too because i have a theory about the dog now so all those people are running somehow jane calls her grandfather to let him know that they have successfully hidden from the police and everyone else this giant 50 or 500 foot yeti they don't explain how or why well I, why is up so they don't explain how and he tells them to go to the warehouse and then he tells somebody else to meet them at the warehouse because they're already there, which they're not because she hasn't even gone yet. But that doesn't seem to matter because then they end up at the warehouse of, what is it, United Motors? Some made-up car company? Yeah, I,
1: I, didn't, I didn't remember.
0: United Automotive or something like that? Okay, so here's here's the weird part. So they're in a Jeep, right?
1: Cliff and the doctor? And Jane? And the professor?
0: Uh, yeah, they all show up there at the warehouse In the jeep. The dog is there. How did he get there? Because they climb out of the jeep. He's not in the jeep. And then when they climb out of the jeep, the dog's sitting there. Like he teleported in from the last scene.
1: Yeah. Dogs teleport all the time. Actually. Didn't you know that?
0: Apparently. Because if you watch the movie, at no point other than that tiny fraction of a scene where he's trying to get them to follow him, do you see that dog running anywhere? It just sits and barks. And then I think Bamf. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the, the dog's scene. name, Bamf. <laughs> Actually, it's Indio.
1: <laughs> we named the dog Indio.
0: Yeah, I know. Mean, I was thinking that too. Like, <clears throat> uh, that long before that movie even came out. <laughs> so apparently, that dog can teleport from place to place because there was no scene or any connective tissue to tell you what happened to that dog or how it got all the way to Toronto. <laughs> Because you don't see it until, because like when they're on the roof, there's no dog. All of those scenes in Toronto, there's no dog. And then all of a sudden, the jeep pulls away and there he is, sitting uh, like a good boy in front of that
1: warehouse. Well, it's just like you don't have any connective tissue to tell you how Yeti got to this building and then Mm -hmm. why Yeti is passed out on the verge of death. Well, They finally tell you
0: that eventually, because that's a big plot point, is that for some reason, all of a sudden can't breathe the air. He needs more oxygen. Yes, but you can't just have that just so he's knocked out. Bad things happen. I Well, they go out of their way to make this a plot point, to emphasize this thing that they, I honestly don't know why is even in the movie. Right before that, we cut to a strange boardroom of old white men who are performing some sort of Illuminati-like ritual, uh, supposedly to vote for the leader of some industrial conglomerate did i pass out i don't remember this at all it's bizarre the whole third act is predicated on this for some reason so they're voting for a new leader for their evil corporate cabal of different industry heads because like there's a guy that's in like
1: so it's bill gates and elon musk and kind of
0: well it's more like lee iacocca and you know henry ford and that kind of thing. Basically, it'd be like Carnegie, Ford, Edison, you know, that those mm-hmm. kind of evil f***ers. And if they play it like a Spectre meeting. Like Blofeld should be the end of the table. They pass around a ceramic urn. They put little black or white balls, like the, the size of a Super Bowl, and they put it in the urn. They pass it around. It's almost like a bedpan. They pass it around, and then some unknown an unnamed and speechless old white man looks at it and just kind of looks it over and then hands it to another person. And then it's like, well, it's decided. It's this guy. He's our new leader. Um... What is happening right now? And they never explain it, except for the, the fact that they imply that they're like an evil guild that rivals honeycut Industries. Okay... So then when they're in the warehouse, they send those guys to help out the professor from Gillian's Island <laughs> to use coconuts to save the ape or whatever. Would have made more sense. Then it turns out two of those guys are actually evil because, and once again, we have to infer on our own, they are heavies from this evil conglomerate rival of Honeycutt.
1: Right. And so they, they send Jane out to get more oxygen because they have ran out of oxygen,
0: Because they sabotaged
1: sabotaged it. it. And while she's away, they frame Yeti for the professor's (laughs) murder.
0: By the way, Yeti is still unconscious.
1: Oh, yeah. He wakes up just barely enough. He's bleary-eyed, and he sees... The way they decide to murder him is just slamming this professor's head against a box like 20 times.
0: Which is wild. But then Jane is like, I'll go get more oxygen. I'm just off to the oxygen store. And she leaves. They don't show what they do, how they get whatever. And once again, the dog is there. When they get out of the Jeep, they show up with two oxygen tanks and two, I'm guessing, police officers with no badges or insignias or patches of any kind.
1: That's right. It's me, Yeti Cops.
0: Uh, Or they're like meter maids. (laughs) There's like no identifying marks on them whatsoever. So I want to know where they found two cops with tanks of oxygen in less than 10 minutes.
1: Well, they're going to shove. They were going to they were gonna shove them into these rogue sharks' mouths and blow them up, um, but they diverted that. Has so
0: to. yeah, and the third one's about revenge. <laughs> Where did they go? Why just two cops? Because later, then the cops are called to the warehouse, and then a bunch of other cops show up, but a whole like squadron of.
1: Yeah, I don't really know. But at this point, I don't
0: understand. What's happening. We get
1: one of the best bits, which is frame for murder. Now he travels the wastelands, (laughs) an outlaw hunting outlaws, a bounty hunter, a
0: yeti. Uh, A yeti hunting yeti. (laughs) Oh, God, yes, he is finally the renegade yeti, man. Yeah, she's like, no, he was framed. He's innocent, which was obvious to anybody because he was literally unconscious when the professor was killed. And then the two guys that killed the professor lay down and pretend to be dead. And then the only two guys that those cops come and, like, check on are the two guys that are faking it. And not the doctor who's bleeding from his (laughs) face and ear. Uh. And then yet he's, this entire time, unconscious. uh, And then some random dude runs up and is like, Yeti killed two people. I saw it with my own eyes. (sighs) He just looked at Jane and the cops are like, Innocent, huh? (laughs) He's still unconscious right now. (laughs) You can just look to your left right now.
1: The law says, ma'am, that Yetis are guilty until proven innocent.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's a double standard with Yetis, man. It's just never going to be fair. It's inherently racist against Yetis. The system. It's true. I've seen it. I've seen it in my own eyes. And so then they, I guess, does the Yeti.
1: So Yeti gets some oxygen and then he escapes. This is when he does kill those two guys because I remember this is where we get the Yeti tofu. Which is like his kung fu, but just with his toes. He slams one dude on the ground and then he puts his head in
0: between his two toes and squeezes him. The weird part about that is he steps on him, which that's really all you need. That right there, I think, is enough, right? And then just lets up. And the guy gets up and stands up and looks at him. He's like, oh, yeah, you're pretty good, aren't you? Sweet. And that's when he strangles (laughs) him. Why? Which way do you think is more efficient? (laughs) Yeti Vengeance is a dish best served, cold. Of course, the the props used for that were the only expense that we can see in this film on cursory glance. They actually built a 37-foot tall Yeti mannequin that they use for basically every time you see any practical Yeti effects that aren't what would have been blue screen back then is part of this giant mannequin that they made. And I'm guessing that's where the entire budget went. Uh, it also doesn't look anything like Mimo, and it's basically paper mache if you really <laughs> look at it. Uh, Doing a bang-up job there, guys. Nailing it. They actually had that, I was looking it up, uh, for for promotion for the film, they had that touring around at movie theaters, so you could go and take pictures. I found people taking pictures of them in front of, you know, 37-foot Yeti man sculpture.
1: <laughs> the Yeti man
0: the yeti homeless man
1: the yeti vagrant
0: yeah he does he's he does kind of like a yeti hobo which kind of is true because he doesn't do anything in the movie see like that's the one of the weird things that separates this from other king kong knockoffs he doesn't seem to do much there's not a lot of havoc wreaked. it's a lot of just yelling and people running but he only destroys like one building and he climbs down another one yes that's yeah. about it yeah that's it He destroys a car, which explodes, and that's one of the best scenes in the movie, is that he destroys a car by, once again, we're having scale problems. He sticks his hand in the back window, (laughs) picks it up, and it's huge in his hands. It's about half the size of him. And then he flips it over so that it'll land on the ground and, I assume, crush whoever's inside. But before it even leaves his hand, it explodes in a ball of fire for discernibly no reason whatsoever. And then it hits the ground. And of course, it's on fire, and the whole thing is a train wreck. So.
1: It's a car wreck, actually.
0: It's a well, <laughs> car wreck. But they didn't even take a second take on it. They were just like, fuck it. We got the pyro guy for one day.
1: Yeah, I'm not doing it again.
0: Do you want to do it again? That's your problem. <laughs> you can pay me for two cars. <laughs> uh, I'm taking my 30. So they. Um, I guess you can make an argument that cars in the 70s were a lot larger than they are now. Uh, And that's the problem with the scale there. But like
1: so many things, like we're going to get more scale problems here in a second. But uh. Mm -hmm. so Yeti's now on the run again. He just disappears again. They can't find him. Mm -hmm. No, he He was knocked out running the streets. He got his oxygen. I think he got some Nas from the Fast and Furious dudes. And then he bailed. (laughs) And while this is happening, Jane, Herbie, and the dog have then been kidnapped, I guess, by Cliff. Cliff, the number two guy to Honeycutt Senior. And Cliff, the suave, good looking, boring dude with boring hair, he's
0: actually a secret bad guy.
1: Wow. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you see him in the truck with two other guys that are working for that conglomerate. Yeah, and they
1: take them to this warehouse, place, whatever, that I guess they stay at?
0: It's like it's like a safe house or something. It's something. But It's But it's, it belongs to a, a company. He goes out of his way several times to say that it's United Automotive.
1: Maybe that's part like of the, the Illuminati thing.
0: No, because those guys are the rivals of Honeycutt. Honeycutt's the one that tells them to go there. Uh, you know what? None, this don't... doesn't make any sense. It also doesn't make <laughs> any sense why this guy, is he getting paid to do this?
1: Also, what's the idea here? Is the idea to frame right. Yeti to then
0: undercut Honeycutt's advertising opportunity to ruin seems his business? A little, seems a little pointless because so I didn't understand their motivation to do any of the things they do at all. When they killed a professor guy and frame Yeti and launched this conspiracy, what is their aim here? I mean, if you want to say that Honeycutt's getting an unfair advantage because of this new Yeti mascot, A, it's not looking really great for Honeycutt considering it's running rampant around the city. Do you need to do anything? Right. Did you need to do anything? And then B, killing it publicly would probably bring more attention to the issue and thus more publicity. So I don't really understand what their end goal was here. I don't know. I don't get it. Other than to be evil with a capital E. Yeah. And especially that guy, the guy that was like their friend the entire time that you think we should be the hero at the end. The uh, the woodsman that comes in and kills the yeah, wolf for whatever. Yeah. Mr. No, Suave
1: 35-year-old has a good job, good health benefits.
0: Jack Lord stands. Yeah, he's number
1: two. And he's like, hey, you know, I'm... she's sweet on me. Now's the time that I'm going to prove that I'm bad. And then <laughs> betray everyone. <laughs> he pulls a knife. He's going to stab Herbie. Mm-hmm. And that's when the dog comes out. And the dog flies through the air. And is, is trying to get the knife out of his hands. Then Mr. Suave stabs the dog. Really yeah, it's it's that. awful. Then he decides, you know what I need to do? I need to rape this girl in front of this mute boy. <laughs>
0: her, her brother? Yeah,
1: that doesn't work out. She's able to fend that him underage off.
0: underage girl.
1: So he's like, oh, well, that didn't work exactly how I wanted it. I guess I'll just choke the bitch to death. And that's just what's happening. He's just choking her for no reason. He's just going to kill her.
0: What is the motivation for any of these characters? I have
1: no idea. Then we get our latest size scale problem. As Yeti punches through the wall, he's found them. I don't know. Maybe he sniffed their hair in the wind.
0: Maybe he's a creep too?
1: (laughs) I think he's a super creep. He punches through the wall, one big fist, and then somehow the building either gets a hundred times bigger or Yeti shrinks down because then he just kicks down and punches through the, the whole wall with his whole body. But he's, like, as big as the wall of the building?
0: Even though he towers over... Even it. though
1: he towers over a hotel that's, like, I don't know, 50 stories, he fits in this room?
0: Maybe it's dimensionally transcendental. I don't know. It's
1: it's the, the it's TARDIS, Tardis. safe house that, that he's breaking yeah. into.
0: It's got to be it. It's a modest TARDIS, you know? They don't go too big. <laughs> you know, they're like, this is enough. This is enough for a moderate family, you know, of some means ugh. Yeah, it makes no sense at all. There, yeah, the scale thing just is baffling all over the place with that. Ape might act actually have had the more extreme examples, but this one fluctuates way more than that movie.
1: Yes, I think I'd agree on that one.
0: It goes from shot to shot. That at the beginning, when he's on the ground and he gets into the cage, that cage is very obviously 50 to 100 plus feet tall, right? And mm-hmm. then a single helicopter picks it up and takes it off the ground, which means it's about uh, 15 foot tall. In comparison, if you go by scale, because they show yes. it.
1: Uh-huh. Unless so this is the biggest 15, helicopter in the history of man.
0: Even though, ironically, it's one of the smallest helicopters in the history <laughs> of man, it is, in fact, a toy. <laughs> About four inches long. I love when they have it spin out
1: at the beginning. And it's it's going like, oh, man. Anybody who is actually in that would be like, a 17 Gs, you'd be splat against the wall.
0: And not only that, but that, that's when they lose contact with the ground for some reason. What exactly happened to you up there? Are you experiencing missing time as well? or <laughs> your watch stopped. Where did they go? Well, there's that idea that Sasquatch are interdimensional beings. So it makes well. sense. That actually makes more sense than this movie.
1: Though. It actually makes more sense for the whole plot. I mean, so you have the grandpa who killed his kids to get the money. You have this Illuminati organization that knows that Honeycat is in league with the aliens trying to get on the good side because he's going to make Yeti a big brand. Mm -hmm. He's going to be an ambassador that's going to bring the aliens, but they are part of the reptiloids and they're trying to block (laughs) them from coming. So they got to frame Yeti and kill the Honeycat kids. This is all making much more sense now that I'm laying it out.
0: Now we're talking about a plot here. Yeah. And also, that dog can apparently slide between dimensions. That explains why you never seen Travel Anywhere. This
1: also explains the next bit, which is, we're rounding off the end of this film. So, mm. Yeti fends off the bad dudes.
0: I think he kills them? Am I right? Uh, yes, he steps on them. He actually squashes yeah, yeah. them. Yeah, And they cut away from it, and she chains. Oh, yeah, back Jane Jane, Jane reacts. Ew.
1: And at this point, Yeti realizes that do- the dog is dead. So he literally licks his hand, and you see the yeah. spittle onto his fingers, and then he pets the dog's beautiful hair that's now dead hair. And then you see the cops have come. The army cops? There's a bunch of lo- cops now who all have their <laughs> rifles did. and shotguns pointed up at Yeti.
0: It's obviously the Canadian police. <laughs> yeah.
1: And they're going to they're gonna shoot that yet. Shoot you yet. But Herbie runs to Grandpa, and then... You see that Jane is communicating mentally, or something, with Yeti, <laughs> and Yeti's like he gives the sad eyes to the cops.
0: Smizing, <laughs>
1: and because of the sad eyes, they're like, wait, maybe we shouldn't shoot Yeti. And this is when Jane utters the brilliant best line of the film:
0: Yeti, Yeti,
1: boy, girl. Boy. Thank you Girl, but this world is not for you. Thank you. Go away. But please go away. Go away. This world is not for you. Go back to the wilderness, to the
0: mountains, where life is like you knew it. Goodbye, Yeti. Hey. <laughs> Take off, hoser. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, right after the Betty Davis eyes, then uh, that weird stilted speech. Just use your words, man. Like, you don't – there are extra words you left out of that sentence that are unnecessarily removed. Uh, I don't don't. – I don't understand. So then Yeti goes away, and then we see Herbie, and what's
1: happening? The magic healing Yeti spit has worked, and the dog is healed, except for some blood on his chest and is running full speed towards herbie the dog and the kid are running at each other like lovers in a chewing gum commercial and they keep cutting back do and forth do they do that in chewing gum commercials all the time
0: <laughs> okay i guess maybe it's been a while <laughs> the double mint twins that was awkward i don't...
1: that was the best part of that commercial my friend <laughs> and they they keep cutting back and forth between them and they finally they meet and this magical dog who's actually not a dog but a spacefaring uh, alien bounty hunter who is
0: watching. A <laughs> <Abraxas? laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm going to take the form of a dog this time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a dog day afternoon.
1: <laughs> so the dog has come. Everything is, is right with the world. And then we get the book end. We fade out, and then we get glaciers coming down, just like the beginning of the film. But. <gasps>
0: A palindrome, like The Shining.
1: (laughs) But swiped from left to right is now the weeping face of Yeti, like the crying Indian in those old trash commercials.
0: From that Italian man? Yes. Yeah,
1: Yeah, maybe it's the same thing. And so is this film trying to say something? Is this about eco-destruction? Is this about capitalism and run rampant? Is this about Illuminati who are running the world from reptilian underground trying to Keep out the Bigfoot, Sasquatch, uh, skunk, apes, and yetis from manifesting themselves with the great aliens <laughs> on our planet. It's one of those. It's got to be one it's of those.
0: It's up there. You throw a dart at it, really. And then we get credits. That's the yeti. And it says, dedicated to David Icke. The end. <laughs> Big letters. Big hairy An letters. An Night Shyamalan film. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, so, I have a question um,
1: for you, Skip. What was it about Yeti that made you want to cover this particular feature?
0: The trailer. Okay. <laughs> so I'll just say it. The trailer was amazing. And I was bored. I was by myself. I had a couple. And then I I was on Tubi looking for something cult or B-movie-esque. And I kept seeing pictures for this Yeti thing. So, I looked at the trailer and it blew my mind, and I was like, "Nope, this is happening." And I sat there and I watched it, and legitimately, I was like in awe. of it. I was like, "This is the greatest movie I've ever seen in my life." Uh, of course, watching it in the cold, sober light of day is not quite the same, but I liked it because the absurdity of the fact that they're—it's it, a clone of King Kong, but without any character development, any pathos, any real narrative structure to speak of, and. Not quite the Carmina Burana. (laughs) I was just. Did we mention the disco theme? Yeah. The love theme from. Which also plays over the end credits.
1: great. The disco love theme is is just it's great. I could dance Cotter style to that.
0: (laughs) Mr. Cotter actually you can find that soundtrack so I was looking up where you can watch it. It's on Tubi obviously that's where I found it but you can also get it on DVD. It came out in 2014 on DVD and i got to read some of the reviews for it on Amazon. But you can also, because of a 2017 uh, remaster, you can get it on Blu-ray. The Amazon reviews are funny because essentially no one has any to say about the movie. Some excerpts. Uh, Let's see. Such a fun underrated film for those looking for obscure Bigfoot slash Yeti cinema. Fair. <laughs> I wasn't expecting much from this, but was pleasantly surprised. Plus, how can you go wrong with the giant Yeti? Also fair. In fact, I enjoyed this one more than the 70s Kong film, Ape. That's the first time I've heard that. Hmm. Unfortunately, the picture quality isn't great, but considering the rarity of the movie, I'll happily take what I can get. And then, here's the, the title of the next one. Not the best print. And here's the next one. One star. Extremely poor quality. <laughs> this one says... This is almost an achievement. The DVD format has been around for over 15 years, and this may be the lousiest-looking DVD of all time. Jesus. Ironically, the best-looking part of this DVD is the anti-piracy warning before the film starts. Oh, man. And then the one right after that. The title is, And Now a Puzzler. Which is worse, the quality of the print or the movie itself? Then the next one is, This film deserves a better release. And then the one after that, shameful DVD for a wonderful trash film. (laughs) (laughs) Then the one after that, rated one star because there isn't a negative one star option. (laughs) That one is funny too because it says, I love this film and I too own a bootleg I purchased from eBay. The bootleg version is much higher quality than the one I received today. I can't even describe the problems with this DVD because I don't have all day. However, this case is somewhat professional. The case, the actual DVD case. Uh, Possibly in the near future, someone will take the time to release this film professionally. Until then, stay away, in all caps, from this version, unless you have cataracts that will keep you from seeing this mess. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so, apparently, nobody really has any complaints about Yeti, but apparently the DVD copy sucks. Uh, maybe
1: they just they couldn't see it, so they didn't know how bad it was.
0: Put that in movie in 4K. Do you think it's going to look
1: better? Not a chance.
0: I mean, all those blue screen scenes, are they going to suddenly look
1: realistic? Not everything needs to be HD.
0: No, no. Sometimes, it's, I mean, just going back and watching old shows, you're like, "Boy, I'm glad this was in SD because now I can see their makeup lines, you know, like where where the makeup begins and ends." Um, so I'm going to look up the uh, oh the the Blu-ray is on sale for twenty dollars. Too much. Thirty three percent off. Too much. It has been. Uh, it's an anamorphic. Does that mean it changes into cat people? I'm hoping so, or cars and trucks. Maybe I'm not really sure. <laughs> uh, apparently, nobody has any complaints about the Blu-ray. So apparently, that's the that's the one. He, several people do mention Barry Gibb and the Bee Gees, though. So, well, I mean, he stole his hair. I mean, it's right there. Oh, oh, here's one that says uh, a huge improvement over the DVD. So that person bought both copies.
1: That is a f- fan, my man.
0: Yeah, that is a fan. And This one person. Oh man. In the year 1984, I was six years old when I first watched this film on videotape. Bad punctuation. (laughs) I was fascinated by this film, period. This film is also available on YouTube, but the quality of this Blu-ray is top in all capital letters. It's a shame that this wasn't the whole uncut version anyway. No punctuation, but still very good picture and sound quality. So at least uh, this illiterate person likes it. So that's good. Um, Me like ape man (laughs) (laughs) No punctuation This film is so bad it's good And it's (laughs) That's that's the next one it says This Blu-ray is is a vastly better copy with a sharper image I don't know they still had those (laughs) shops Than the DVD that came out a few years ago This film is so bad It is good and takes place in Toronto Which is fun to see But it wasn't (laughs) No it really wasn't and it was also not in Toronto It was in Italy the entire time Basically, every review that we saw from professional reviewers can be summed up with It's Entertaining, Uh, Mimo acts his ass off, they made a lot of budgetary decisions, and nothing seems to happen in it. I mean, that's almost exactly every review I read, so it was kind of pointless reading them all, because they almost all say the same. Okay, so everyone loved the score, apparently, which is hilarious, because it's just a rip off of one part of the Camino Piranha. That's, That's all there is. That's it. It's the whole score, except for the disco part. Yeah, which is good. And I do like sure. Carmina Barana, but I'm also kind of just like, this is just Carmina Barana. Yeah, but it's not, though. That's the, If it were actually just the Carmina uh, Burana, yes. you'd kind of understand it more. But it's like one note off in two places. Yeah. Mm, mm, oh, mm. man. But you can get that soundtrack. Apparently, it was released on a 45. So the entire soundtrack was released on a 45? Wow. But if you ever get the chance... Those of you out there, take a look at the uh, album cover. It is worth it. it. It does describe the funky disco sound. That is accurate. Uh, so they created a fake band. They were trying, I guess, they were trying to cross market with the soundtrack because that disco song credited to a band called the Yetians, which is not real. Whoa! Uh, I guess it's just the composer and a couple of dudes he knows. Uh, but they were trying to make it like a hip soundtrack. Even though it's small enough to fit on a forty-five, um, this
1: album is big. It's hairy, and it's out of this time.
0: it <laughs> looks like Chris Christopherson. <gasps> That's exactly what I was going to say. There. He looks exactly
1: like, like <laughs> Chris <Really>? Christopherson.
0: <laughs> it does. Oh, like, like Convoy era yeah. Chris Christopherson.
1: I gotta think of oh, a song. Man. This Yeti's about one hillbilly hair.
0: Well, I couldn't do it. If you Google Yeti, the giant of the twentieth century, and then do the images search, pictures of Barry Gibb will come up. <laughs> I and I'm not joking. It totally does, huh? Well, and uh, that's Yeti, ladies and gentlemen. We've told you where you can get that Yet. Get it up! It's a ride, man. It's a wild ride. Yeti, I guess, gets a Y for why not? There you go. Hey, that's good. Why the last Yeti? <laughs> please, please be this the last Yeti. Uh, he's. I mean, it's the only one that's thawed. It's like the Encino Man scenario. Encino uomo. I personally would recommend, if you're looking for an enjoyable hour and 45 minutes of your life uh, dedicated to B-movies, I think Yeti fits quite comfortably in that category. It does drag a little bit in places, but um, for the most part, it's uh, it's energetic. It's nonsensical, which will keep you thinking. At least you'd be occupied. Um, and uh, if nothing else, watch the trailer. It's great. Well, would you recommend this, Jake? Um, <sighs> To people like us.
1: Let's say that. Uh, It's it's a tough one. (laughs) I think if I could just cut out and just have just Yeti, just the Yeti bits, and have a supercut, maybe it might be worth it. Oh, sure.
0: Will you take out all the people? Yes. Yeah, that's fine. No peoples. It it would make just as much sense. Just a supercut of him reacting to things?
1: Yes. If I could just have his face burned into my brain, that would be fine hours on loop of the yeti (laughs) but i i mm, man i'm trying to like think about this in reference to ape
0: is it better or worse than ape uh i mean do you enjoy it more or less i probably liked a little less i think there was a little more ridiculousness
1: on the part of the people the events and what ape does that i bought into a little more if you had taken yeti out of ape I mean, out of Yeti, put it into ape, and he does all the ape stuff. That would have been an actual, really good movie,
0: Oscar nominated. <laughs> palm door. The the back back palm door. That's gonna win the palm to tear. <laughs> Yum. Uh, well, I mean, that's that's all she wrote. So the curtain is closing on another edition of Eastside Theater Guild. You, we do this every now and then uh, whenever we find a good movie. <laughs> Good in quotations. (laughs) Well, yeah. We haven't figured out an actual like rotation for when we're going to do movies. You never know when the Yeti's going
1: to be thawed out,
0: you know? You never know when that Yeti thaws. Like my grandmother used to say. You can follow us on all the social media. Sometimes we're on there. And um, if you would uh, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, you know, subscribe, like, all those things. Do you have anything to add? Yeti. Fair enough. Well, don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, to support your local comic shops and retailers. And from Dispatch Ajax, we would like to say, Godspeed, farewell.
1: Please go away.